this time. So we get started because I actually really have to finish on time, which I have not done this whole the whole time we've been doing this. So um, we'll crank up, and I'll start us off in prayer. Father, thank you for today. <coughs> Lord, um, children are a blessing. Help us to, I mean, that's straight from your word. And um, help us to be diligent in pointing them to you, wise in our dealings, and making sure that our own actions live up to the words and the aspirations that we speak. And thank you for the time, in Jesus' name, amen. So, um, this is a real quick uh, introspection for me, publicly. Um, my older boys, my boys as they got old enough to really be a help in the yard, um, the challenge as they become your helper is how do you allow them to actually learn how to do stuff? And um, I was reflecting back on two items, in which case both boys later said, man, I'm glad I'm not the one who did it, Dad. So one was digging out uh, something in our yard, and, and I hit one of the main irrigation lines that's always pressurized. So there that goes. So the one-hour effort becomes a three-hour effort because you got to go to Lowe's, you got to get the stuff, you got to fix it, you got to put it back together. So that was an Austin event. Yesterday we were in Greenville. And um, Ryan was helping. It was an all-day effort. My mom's yard really needed a lot of work. So I brought all my tools. And that worked really well until I started going for the higher stuff with my um, hedge trimmer and went right through my electrical cord. <laughs> and even he was going, how did you do that again? I said, let's not go there. Which then through, you know, broke the circuit. So I go to the circuit panel and nothing's flipped. I'm going, okay, there's got to be a surge protected outlet on the outside. I couldn't find it anywhere. Okay, maybe I blew the breaker. Maybe the breaker died. So I go to Lowe's, get a new breaker, do that and make sure I don't electrocute myself in the process. Turn everything back on, nothing works. So then we had to eventually find the one surge protector that was behind this massive wall of cabinets and all this mess to, to find it. And again, I got the comment, glad it wasn't me. <laughs> Dad, I'm glad you did that, which made me reflect, how do I react when my helper's the one who does that? Probably not as well as I react when I do it. Um, a good challenge for us as we have older kids is when they do things that we do and they have accidents, how, how gracious are we in handling that? I have room to grow. Um, and sorry, one more reflection. In, in my, my summers of, of college, I did a, a lot of construction work and I worked on a team at a very large church. They had a, they had a supervisor who worked year-round, but then he bulked up in the summer. And there are so many times where I did things that like, I had to learn and he was great about, okay, clean up the mess and just let me know when you're done, multiple times. And um, how, do I, how well do I do that with my kids? How well do we do that with kids? So anyway, let's get into this week's stuff. So teenagers, part two. This is our last class. Um, last week, real quick, we ran through what are the challenges that teens are going through, so like puberty up until they leave the house. Um, you know, who am I? Becoming secure in who they are. They want to belong. Dealing with the complexities of adulthood where I want to be responsible on one day, but oh my goodness, I don't want all that pressure at the same time. Um, 
life decisions looming and coming at them um, as they get into high school, every, every adult, hey, so what are you going to do next? I don't know, I'm trying to figure it out. A lot of times when you get into college, what are you doing? Well, I'm doing this, but I don't know if I'm supposed to be doing that. I'm glad I don't have to go back and do that again. So they're dealing with all of that. So the key training objectives that we talked about last week were how do we help make sure they understand the fear of the Lord, much more than fear of me. We, re, we, we are responsible to a higher power. How do we, how do we internalize that to them? Um, the other training two objectives were adherence to parental instructions of Proverbs 1.8. My son, hear the instruction of your father. Do not forsake the law of your mother. for they. And so it, there's the instruction. Don't forsake the instruction of your father or the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head. There's a positive component to that. And then the third one was disassociation from the wicked. How do you make sure that you run with a crowd that's worth running with? And as people come into that environment that maybe not have the background or training that you have, how do you be the influence on them versus they be the influence on you? That's what we hit on last week. Um, the disassociation from the wicked was Proverbs 1, 10 through 19. I won't do all of that, but it was about the, my son of sinners entice you, and they tell you, come be part of us, be a band with us, and we'll do these things. Um, and, and the admonishment is, don't go there, for, for they lie in wait for their own blood. And, and the call of that was, come belong with us. So the teenager and the adult is looking for belonging. How do I, what group can I live with and be accepted by? So you have to build that in your own house, that there's a sense of belonging here. So with that said, how do we do that? So we said that's what we want to try to do. This week we're going to really talk about how do we do it. What's our offer of belonging? So again, how do we train them to fear the Lord, adhere to our instruction, and disassociate from the wicked? One pause. As we run through this and, and we go through the next 10 or 15 minutes, think about what you would want to discuss at your table. I have questions that I can throw out again like I usually do, but I'm going to go to you first with what would you like to discuss or what scenarios would you like to walk through? And then if, if, if we strike out there, I'll throw my questions out. So how do we do it? Um, one more preamble. Sorry, I'm doing a lot of that today. What, what happens if we find ourselves with teenagers and we didn't do all this stuff beforehand? Or the parents are saved and their kids are already up and running and along the way. What do you do? You don't have time to go back and say, well, I can't relive the first five years of your life with you because you're 10 or you're 15. So what does God do with any of us? And this is a question. What does God do with us? Anybody want to throw an answer? He gives us grace. He, he met us that way. So you repent and you turn and you say, God, how do we do this? And if children are involved in that, they need to hear, they need to see that. They need to see that in your life. They need to, you need to demonstrate it in such a way that they want that. So it's not like all is lost. Um, that's kind of what it was when Adam and Eve did their thing. But God said, no, not all is lost. I have a way. So if you haven't been doing it since they were born, that doesn't mean that we can't go in a good place. Um, and, and my verse for that is Job 42.6. So Job, I'm not going to do a whole lecture on Job, but uh, I certainly wouldn't match up to Job. And, and Job 
loved God. But when Job saw the fullness of who God was, he said, therefore, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. That's what people need to see. That's our personal fear of the Lord. Okay, so how do we go about it? Um, as they hit the teen years, we should be a shepherd and a guide. And there's kind of six things um, that the that this chapter throws out here. How do we help them internalize the gospel? It has to become their gospel. It can't be, this is dad's gospel that I've heard. It has to be, this is my gospel. This is who I am with Christ. Um, we have to really work on developing and maintaining a relationship. How do we help them through periods of doubt? How do we make sure that as best we can, most of our interactions are positive? I had a very positive interaction with Ryan yesterday when I cut the electrical cord. Would it have been as positive if he cut the electrical cord? And it should have been. And it's not, well, let me teach you more about electricity, son. Come on, let's go. Um, how do we develop an adult relationship with that budding adult in our house. We're still in charge, they still have it left, but they aren't a five-year-old anymore. They aren't a 10-year-old anymore. They're an adult. And allow room for disagreement. So let's run through them real quick. Internalization of the gospel, that requires a lot more than me. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. I can't manufacture that. Um, I can point them to that. But what can I focus on? I can focus on appealing to their conscience, focus on character issues. Like, what's the root of the challenge that you're just talking about, that, that you're experiencing in your life, in, in a discussion with them? Where's the, what's, what's the challenge there? Where does that go? Um, address the heart as the wellspring of life. And again, above all, help them see their need for Christ and their life in light of God's kingdom that is bigger than what we do here. It's bigger than next week. It's bigger than the next 50 years. It's bigger than when you leave this place permanently. Um, and help them focus on that. As far as developing and maintaining the relationship, we very, very quickly become much more of an influencer and much less of an authoritative figure. Yeah, there's no nothing over there. If you just think of a, a grid with an a grid with an X. It's okay. A pie? Anything? It's really simple, which is the only reason I'm willing to even try to draw it. If this is the, if this is time down here, and um, my authority, and well. See, I already messed up. This is going to be um, influence and authority. Guess what? I start out right up here. It's almost all authority. There's no influence. You're just going to do what I tell you to do. Then very quickly goes that way. And influence very quickly goes that way. And in the teen years, we're in that section right there. Do um, you want to go back to what we got wrong last week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was one thing I got wrong last week. Um, I talked about being aware of when you're in this section of the world, very authoritative. I said something about a four-year-old when I intended to say a fourth grader. Big difference between four-year-old and a fourth grader. How do you determine, how do you see the, the budding 
of challenges and rebellion and, and pushback at, at, at fourth grade that could blossom fully later. Because in fourth grade, I'm still way bigger than you. You know you can't get away with anything. But if you rebuke them publicly and, and, and you don't, you don't re- reestablish the relationship and, and you can see that maybe in this case they just kind of hunkered down and you could see by just their face and their body reaction that I'm doing it because you're bigger than me and you can make me do it. You've got to address that early on as well or else when they are big enough, it's a whole different experience and a whole different thing that you don't want to go down. And we gave that question to your table and we said, based on the story that he thought the author had said a four-year-old that was public correction and the four-year-old creator was angry and he had it you know built up inside him and the more we thought about it you said you're constantly correcting a four-year-old in public that's a constant if you didn't correct a four-year-old in public you'd be missing a lot but a fourth by the time they're in fourth grade it should be uh be able to give them a look and they get it if not, then it needs to be a private thing. But the four-year-old's going to constantly display that symptoms of rebellion. Whereas a fourth grader, if you still see that internal burning anger going on whenever they're corrected, that's a sign. Something's going on. There's something in the relationship that's not, that's not quite right. So as we get to the older <clears throat> years, and you know, the way I would deal with a, a fourth grader is different than I would deal with a 14-year-old. Um, Reflect back in your own own mind of how would help me again. How many have teenagers right now? And how many have teens in the next two to three years? Okay, <laughs> who are double dippers? <laughs> um, so when you get into that, how do you handle um, correction? Is it is it kind of a snap and a and you're grounded for a blah 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 blah? Or is it, how do we work through this? Um, I don't think I was ever grounded in my life. That does not mean I didn't do anything wrong. Um, But I don't think I was ever grounded. Um, The worst thing I could ever get in my house as a a teenager was, well, that was disappointing, son. Just shoot me. Hit me. I'd rather you do that. Don't tell me I disappointed you. and so how do you encourage and nurture that? Again, that, that was my own sense of belonging. I wanted, I wanted them to, I don't know how they did it. I really can't put my hand on all of that. And it, it, I wanted them to like what I did, not necessarily just because I wanted mom and dad to like what I did, but I bought into their framework of what was right and wrong. And when I failed on that, it was bigger than I failed mom and dad. I built the bigger, I, I, I had failed the bigger framework of my worldview that they had established and I had bought into. Does that make sense? That sound mumbo jumbo? That's was, the best way I can put my finger on that. I was thinking about that this week because I, you know, if your parents have done, done things well, you, you want to go back and, and copy, you know, their secrets. How did you do that? And the more I think about, my parents weren't perfect, his parents weren't perfect, but I think one of the key things that made us so crushed if we knew we disappointed them is that we knew that our parents, not only did they love us, but they enjoyed us. Does that make sense? There was a a sweetness in the fellowship 
that does not mean that we were not corrected a lot. We were. There are times where Emma and I are not enjoying each other. <laughs> but what, what my goal is to get over that time as quickly as possible and restore it, get it back where it needs to be. And I think that getting it back is what um, is hard to do when you're busy and, and easy to overlook that little bit of tension in the relationship. And, uh, yep. What would you do if your teenager doesn't care that they disappointed you? Yes. It seems like, I mean, I know that would work for some personalities. That we, it will probably, it seems like, like with Miles, he seems really cares what we think, but Lillian already doesn't care what we think at all. So, you know, uh, you've disappointed us. I don't think, I don't think that's going to be her thing. What do you do for kids that aren't? Don't care. Um, I, I'm, I'm stumbling because I'm going, is what I'm thinking good? Is, is, it, is it rounded? So I was third born in a house of four. And I think that even most moderately intelligent people who, whether you're saved or not, will act in self-interest. That's what capitalism is all about. You act in self-interest. Um, that can be bad or good depending on the internal heart. My sister, my eldest sister, was the one who would challenge everything. And I sat back and watched that as an unsaved child. And I went, that's not worth it. <laughs> that is not worth it. So, even though they... they Honestly, it's because I saved that a lot. I was saved that a lot of what I just described really mattered to me. Um, but even outside of that, I think that the the path of I have their trust. I can go pretty much independently do what I want to do is a whole lot better than I've blown the trust. I'm 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 much tighter constrained even as a teenager. I always chose the other one. I don't know if I really addressed your, your question. That was more my, my experience in my, my family. I, I, I don't think you just, you can't just step back and say, okay, you're an adult, do your thing. I think you still have to challenge them, but I think you have to challenge them on the core character issue underneath it. And that, we've, we've had the different personalities in our house, but even within our house, um, I have a friend in this room that I want to use an example for. May I have to have your permission? Esther. Uh, <laughs> when Does Ryan, Ryan need to leave the room? No, no, no. Ryan and Sarah Beth were born just a few months apart, and so we were going through a lot of the same stage together. And things that I would say, well, you should try this because this really works with Ryan. Like one thing, and I've learned since, that's bad, bad parenting, is to say, you've really disappointed me at that age and, and, and appeal to their emotions doesn't matter some children oh that'll break their heart oh I'm so sorry mommy I other children it don't matter <laughs> I don't care if I broke your heart I want that and I want to do that now um, it's it's the stage it's by the time they get to their teen years and they'll still have different personalities we have one child that I like to say he likes to <laughs> waller in God's grace you know, he's just happy to be in God's grace. He is what he is, and that's all there is to it. Another child who is like 
a hamster in a spinning wheel constantly running because he wants to please God and he wants to make sure all of his ducks are in a row. Both of the both if we could those, just blend the two into one. <laughs> both of those personalities are equally under his lordship. They are equally under grace. But they both have different tendencies. And we had to parent them differently. You know, I would have said to the one who just relaxes in God's, uh, no, sir, you cannot do that. Where the other one, I would go, go right out. You know, it just depended on... but. Your goal is not to get them to respond to disappointing you. Your goal is to get them to understand that they have a higher authority who's even above you. That's who they've got to please. And it's not like there aren't any guidelines. There aren't any guardrails. Um, I think one of the examples that almost every child of ours has dealt with is uh, so we homeschool. And when they're still doing it after supper, um, something's wrong. So it became, look, you're done by three or four. It depended on the load and, and what the deadline was. This was not in high school. This was in elementary and middle school because sometimes you are doing school after school. Sometimes it played into high school with one <laughs> That's of true. them. Um, and it was like, you're four or you go to, you, you go to your room at seven because obviously you need the rest and you need to get up early. You need to hit this harder. Um, so you have freedom if your work is done to enjoy the evening. If your work is not done, um, you aren't going on the Xbox, you aren't doing these things, go get a good night's sleep and hit it at 6 in the morning. If, you, if that's what it takes to get the job done. And that honestly is like my work when I go into the office. If I go to my boss and, ah, I didn't get it done, well, I'm expected to get it done. Um, so anyway, did that go anywhere close to what you were asking? Can I respond to it? Yeah. Because I've seen both. We have, if, we, if you could have eight different personalities, we have them all. Um, and I was a very rebellious teen, so I can speak from that perspective. But deep down, I wanted to please parents. So even on the outside, I mean, even if they say, you know, I'm not doing it, I don't care what you think, deep down, if there's a relationship with your child, they're going to want to please you. Even if outwardly, I mean, because our kids, some of our kids, they wear it on their sleeve, and there's no question what's going on. And sometimes the, the more outwardly compliant child has internal heart issues that's harder to draw out. Mm -hmm. So that child that may act like they don't care, deep down they, they truly might. And I think if we're, we're, you know, working on that relationship, then I think... I think they're still going to want to please us and ultimately please the Lord. And I think this, this key there is you keep working the relationship. Yeah. You don't let that go and away. And you keep going to them when you mess it all up. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I was just going to add very much along these same lines that um, no matter what you do wrong as a parent and no matter what you do right, ultimately your kids are going to decide for themselves, especially the order that they get where you know, eventually Miles is going to be physically bigger than you, taller than you. Um, but I guess the biggest thing that I've learned is just to, no matter, just to let the kids know that no matter what it is that they've done, no matter how grievous the sin, you still love them and you're still there on their side rooting for them and you're going to walk through the consequences together, no matter how hard they are. Um, and 
I'm speaking sort of, I mean, I am speaking from personal experience as both a child and a parent, because, I mean, most of you know I got pregnant as a teenager. The way that my parents responded was much different than the way that I would respond if my kids were in the same circumstances now. Um, and I'm not trying to, like, bash my parents, but, you know, they just, when you know better, you do better. And so um, I guess that's the biggest thing. But just prayer. <laughs> mm -hmm. A lot of prayer. I agree with that. And I think that gives us, what you're talking about gives us the ability to demonstrate what God does with us. And, and if they can see us doing that with them, we're trying to point them to someone much greater and better than us who pursued us personally when we weren't what we needed to be. Um, the other thing in this section is, do we lovingly point to what's responsible, but most of the time when we can let them make the decision, let them make it. It may not be exactly the decision I would have made, but as long as it's not jumping over the guardrails, okay, your call. You can't play paintball without a mask, but go play paintball all day long. <laughs> Bruises will be gone in a week or two. Um, what about periods of doubt? Teens have to come to grips with their own worldview, not mom and dad's worldview. What is my worldview and why? Um, they have to know God firsthand and personally, not mom knows God, dad knows God, do I know God? That has to transfer to them. Um, Here's one that I always get to work on. Positive interaction. Are we a source of encouragement and inspiration? I got this flip chart of, you know, a saying for the day, um, 365 of them, many years ago. And I got stuck on one day. It stayed on my office table for forever. And it was, is your attitude worth catching today? It's like, oh. As a leader, is your attitude worth catching? If not, you need to go fix your attitude. Um, Proverbs 16.21, the wise in heart will be called prudent, and sweetness of the lips increases learning. What were you thinking? <laughs> Not quite sweetness of the lips. Um, Proverbs 16.24, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the bones. Even warnings, can we? they should have a positive thrust. Hebrews 6.9, um, I'm jumping to the... Okay, blah, 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 watch out for this, here's challenges. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner, it's talking to the correction that was in front of that. So positive interaction. You also have to be careful with positive interaction. This might have been good, I still can't figure it out. Um, I was at home during college, and, you know, if anybody remembers those days, there were, there were nights like, am I going to survive the next day? Am I going to survive to the end of this quarter? <coughs> and if I verbalize that in front of my parents, oh, yeah, you'll do great. You'll do fine. We know you can do it. It's like, <laughs> you didn't help me at all. You just increased the pressure. Um, anyway, for what that's worth. Um, developing an adult relationship. The child is still under our insight and over, sorry, our oversight but we're working on building an adult that can go out there on their own. Um, so how do you build an adult-adult relationship and do less of that parent-child interaction? I like how he gave the example of treating your relationship with your growing teenage child kind of like you do a friendship. If you see a glaring problem in a friend, you don't just dumb and 
you know, criticize, you, you find a way to gently present it. And this is so different because a lot of y'all are still at the elementary, middle school age kids. I think of this phrase my mother would say when we were younger, she would say, you will not do whatever it was. She would, it was a statement of fact that in our house that will not happen. So we're not talking about that stage where you've got to lay down the law and say, this is how it's going to be. And that recognition of authority, you have to have that stage first. But then when they're a teenager and they're doing something that you internally you're going, what were you thinking? It's got to come out a different way. You know, like, have you thought through what you're about to do? Or have you thought through what you've done? <laughs> um, my, the first day um, Austin got his driver's license, we called Charles and asked if, if Charles always liked to take them on their first spin because I was the t passenger driver who would, you know, do all those gasping noises and freak my child out. And so I said, I think we can just handle it. I'll just take him around the neighborhood. He is dying to drive. So he said, sure. So we went around the neighborhood, got to the end, went into the first person's driveway to turn around to go back to the house. And when he pushed the accelerator to reverse, it was like, boom, and he ran into the neighbor's mailbox. And the really bad news about that is I had hit that mailbox a few months before. <laughs> because I was about to leave the neighborhood and was making sure I had my phone. And so I, I got to go to Lowe's again. <laughs> and, and my rear view mirror hit the, I mean, my side mirror hit their mailbox. So I had to go up there, introduce myself. Hi, I'm your neighbor. I just hit your mailbox. And it wasn't really bad that first time. But then when he backed into it, <laughs> so we bought them a new mailbox and offered to install it. So it was one of those days where, but God had prepared me for that event because he'd let me hit their mailbox first. I just hated that it was the same neighbor. <laughs> it's me again. And he just couldn't, the neighbor opened the door. It was the same. It was the man both times. And he opened the door. He goes, seriously? <laughs> I'm so sorry. <sighs> the good news is it just hit the taillight, and all I had to do is get a new taillight segment and put it back in there. Anyway. He was much more careful after He that. really was. I, that was a God was, thing, was too. A he was a careful driver after that. He was that. one I was worried about the most. Mm -hmm. um, where was I? How many of you have had an adult interact with you as a parent-child interaction? They treated you like the child. Doesn't go down real well, does it, internally? Um, so it doesn't go down well when you have a budding adult in the house either, when you don't have to do that. Um, so developing that adult relationship, a lot of times it's also when something's gone down, wait for the right time. It's not always in the moment. That may not always be the right time to go back and talk about it. Um, don't censure for things that just irritate you or bother you. <laughs> we don't have enough time to go that. into that part of my life. Um, Hold correction back from moral, moral and ethical issues, not things that just irritate you but aren't wrong. What's the one thing you have to watch out for in my house, Ryan? It's one word. Noises. Which comes after that? Noise. Noise, Noise in general. Um, Tell them the pen story. Oh. Quick example of, of what that's like in my life. We had, when we had a van, I had Austin and Colin in the far back seat, nobody else driving. And I hear this. 
And on the first two or three, I went, okay, come on, Charles. Don't do it, Charles. Don't do it. Austin, as I called his name, Austin, he went to, he said to his brother, four. <laughs> that tells you. That sums it up right there. <laughs> so, anyway, we talked about, you might not want to just play with me that way, guys. I, I know I have problems there. Um, she came to me Friday night late and said, are you okay? She said, are you okay after her parents were there for her dad's 75th birthday. Her brother was there with six... Hey. Seven, seven. Yeah, seven of his eight. And, and Emma, Emma's a nice, loud little person. And we were sitting in the living room trying to talk while they were playing on the top of the stairs behind me, and I was just a mess. I was a mess. He looked shell-shocked. I was. I was. So anyway, again, the whole issue there is just because kids are being loud doesn't mean they're doing something wrong. Um, and, and just because they're doing something that's different from you doesn't mean it's something that you need to lay down the law on and they can't do. Um, allow room for disagreement. Um, you know, there's the distinction between scriptural demands and, and non-negotiables and personal taste. That There's differences there. How do you let them be their own person? Um, they don't have to be carbon copies of me to be godly. In fact, there's a lot of things they probably need to do different to be godly. Um, and just to finish this up, and then we'll go to some questions, I wanted to read some of the highlights of the, the last section of this book. So, beyond internalization, developing a Christian mind. Again, we hit, a, we hit on this a little bit. They need to be able, they need to learn to dissect any area of thought. How does that play against God's word? Here's, here's what you're doing. What are the thoughts behind your action? Do they line up with Scripture? Um, developing friendships with adults. How do you make it friendships with adults in the church and in the larger community? Um, I, I think it's really neat when the, the teenagers actually get to where they're interacting with, with other folks around them, not just their group, but the larger churches as a whole. Um, discovering and developing their particular ministry niche. What has God made them good at? What skills has he given them and how does that play into ministry? How do they leverage that into ministry? And just quick, real quick, going back to the personality thing, where you've got some children who are just bound and determined. They don't really care what your opinion is about it. They, they want to, and then there's another child who just wants to be compliant. They want to check all their little boxes and dot all their I's and cross their T's. God has different things for them. And it's been amazing for us now that we've got three that are adults that to see Oh, that's why God made them that way. They're, they're in a field that they've got to be the way they are. And God knew that. We had no idea. And it's just neat to see that come out. And then there's some of our children who are still kind of in the, like Laura just changed her major last week, you know, just trying to go, what do I do? Where, where do I exactly fit in? And where are my talents? And sometimes when they're 18, between 18 and 21 or 22, a lot changes in the, just those couple years where they feel like, like hers was, I can't teach a room full of kids to a couple years later. That sounds really fun. So, you know, and those personality things that God put in them that are not like the carbon copies of us. Which plays to the very next point of how do you help them in determining a career in which they can fulfill 
the cultural mandate and God's command um, that they support themselves, they become independent, they aren't in my household for life. Um, they go out in the world and make their own way. And they do that in a way that is ministry-oriented and God-oriented. And then ultimately the establishment of their own home and family identity as a member of the larger society and a part of the church. Um, so that the whole goal is that they fly on their own and they establish their own life, whether that happens prior to marriage or with marriage, um, they still need to be an independent individual. And then the next thing after that is that mature relationship with parents. It's a very different relationship. I, I am, for the older two boys, I am an advisor when they want to make the call. When they want to make the call. <laughs> I don't get to dive in and go, here's what I think, guys. Um, and if that, if that relationship has gone well, they make the call quite often. Um, not always life decisions, but just to keep the relationship going. They're much better at it than I was. Now we, our technology's better today, but I, I still, I didn't, I didn't make those calls back to my parents near as much as they do to me. Um, and not, not just for advice, but just to talk and just to keep the relationship. So ultimately, the parenting task comes to an end. That's, that's a limited time frame that you're parenting. Um, and that relationship is done when they're up and launched and on, on their own. And uh, they need to understand that while, we need to understand that while our parenting task is temporary, <clears throat> our marriage relationship goes on beyond the kids. And this isn't really in the book, but I would say beware, it gets so busy, it gets so intense. But one day they're gone. When they walk out the door, make sure you still know who this person is to your side and that you still maintain that relationship. Because when they're all out, I've seen this multiple times um, where one or both parents invest so much in the kids that when the kids are gone, they don't even know who each other is. I mean, they, they've, they're co-workers, but the, the, the close intimacy has faded. Um, so don't let that happen. The kids eventually will be out the door and doing other things. You need to make sure you're still working with your spouse. As moms also, in particular, it's really easy to, to make your identity be in your kids. And that's not where it is. Your identity should be in Christ. And God gave us the order of the priority of the relationships. And it, it's so easy when you're spending more hours with the children than you are with your husband to, to get that messed up. But, but that's got to be the first one. And the children need to understand that, too because <clears throat> you will abandon you one day. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to go there, but here's another thing. When they do abandon you one day, um, the guy's view is quite often different than the lady's view. <laughs> Gentlemen, I would suggest you take a deep breath and step back and look at that from her point of view. And my example is when we dropped Colin off at West Point, um, that was a day where, you know, you say goodbye to the, to the, the child going in. You have and, 90 seconds to say goodbye. And you kind of know what they're going into, but you don't deal with them anymore. They're, you're cut, gone. But you get the tour all day long and see everything. And you're waiting for it. At the end of the day, they've, they've been through, the kids have been through their first hard day. They've been, you know, haircut Shade. and all that stuff. And then they do a final review. And then they're a big parade thing where they are marched in and blend into the larger core and then they walk off the field far away from you into these massive big doors, close the doors, and they go, 
by parents. They shut the doors like big bang, boom. That was our first child after homeschooling from a thousand yards away. Years. Big bang, boom. But but that helps right there. So then there are thousands of parents going for two exits, and I'm the guy. Let's get to the car quick. Get in the car. Go. I've been holding in these emotions all day just, long. She's He's... just she's just losing it. I strongly suggest you don't walk. go. Can you just hold it together for a little bit longer? <laughs> I had to stop. I had to stop walking. I found some bleachers, and this little old grandma, Charles, was just kind of standing there, not knowing what to do with me. And this little grandma sat down. She said, "Honey, just let it out. Just let it out. I'm just letting it out." I think we started talking again by the time we were in South Jersey. <laughs> I was just quiet. I was going to let her initiate conversation. Anyway, that's off topic. What what questions would you like to throw out at the tables and discuss? Whether you want to discuss it at your table or you want to throw it to another table and say, I want to know what they think. Any thoughts? I've got my list. Sure. So, I mean, you, you mentioned it a moment ago, but I think uh, some practical suggestions on how to, um, how to avoid not knowing each other in 20 years or 30 years, whenever the kids are gone. Practical, okay. like, okay. How, do, how does this, you know, is it every, is it a weekly date night? Is it, you know, um, you know, I just, how do we make sure that doesn't happen? Okay. I'm going to throw that to the back table. Eric, your table. So how do you keep the relationship going? Others. Tick tock, tick tock. Anybody other have? Tara. Well, we, you know, for the first, years that we were here, we didn't have family, and um, the church was our family, and so I would say I would love a weekly date night, but I would I just have to be satisfied with, you know, twice a year, and one of them being around Christmas time. Teresa Jensen always kept my kids around Christmas time, so TJ and I could go Christmas shopping, um, and so, you know, I would just, like I said, I would love to have said, oh yeah, every week we went out, but um, since we couldn't So let me go ahead and assign the rest of them unless someone's got a real quick one they want to throw out as a question. Okay, so again, go deeper into how do you keep it going? The relationship with your spouse. Um, Niffins, if you can join this table, so there'll be four of you. 
Um, how do you use, what are some good examples or, or how would you go about using gentle reproofs and pleasant speech to influence your teens? How, what, how does that rubber meet the road there? And I'm going to throw that to the back table over here. Um, when are good times to address things with your teenager? How do you find the times to sit back and, like, when do you not address it? When do you address it? How do you find the right time and setting to do that? I'm going to throw it to this table. Okay? Yeah, how do, you, how do you establish good times to address things with your teenagers? To make sure it's, it's the right question. setting. It's a, Back there. Sorry. That's theirs? That's that was theirs. their question. I'm sorry, I'm wrong. <laughs> they were, you were general reproofs, right? Oh, oh, all right. Sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll hush. Okay, so let's see, I've got three tables to go, yes? Are you consciously raising your children to leave? Are you raising them to get up and go? I'm going to put that to this table. Okay. And, and how do you do that? How do you not just, oh, yeah, we are. How do you do it? What, what makes it challenging? Who do who have, these two tables don't have anything yet, right? If you find the relationship strained, what do you do? How do you go about trying to, to, to repair it, to get it deeper? If you, sometimes you just know it's not there. It's not open clash, but you just know the closeness is gone. What are ways to help bring that in? Okay, then for the table over here. Tara, go, go more on that. How do you keep that relationship going? How do you keep the relationship going? Like, like um, the table over here, okay? Four minutes, and I'm going to be late again. It's supposed to end at quarter till. You should be out of here before quarter till. Be out of here we can talk with Esther and her, they're being abandoned. Okay, sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in for just a second. I'm going to let you keep talking. 
but give it to me for just a second because Stephen, Ryan, and I have got to go. But I'm going to let you keep talking about it. So real quick, is there one common theme yet at the table? No, we just did. Is there a common theme at the table? What's the common theme? Not in front of their friends or when they're... Um... When you're angry. Yeah. So take time to chill out. There's no reason to do it right in front of their friends. Common theme at the back table. If the relationship is struggling, parents, child, and one-on-one time. One-on-one time. Common theme? Still working on it? Brian's going to uh, have a car in a, in a really Yeah, humble. you can go ahead and leave. <laughs> is there a common theme yet? Okay, leave at 10 till at least. Um, but thank you for the time this summer, and go ahead and finish out the talk at your table.